0: Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion, with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion. It's back to the bat and ball, or gloves in the case of today's guest, Chris Scott, the former Nottinghamshire and Durham wicketkeeper. Chris was part of two county championship winning sides with Nottinghamshire in the 1980s and in June 1994, when playing for Durham, dropped legendary West Indian batsman Brian Lara when he was on 18. Only problem being, he went on to score 501 not out, the highest ever individual score in cricket history. In today's podcast, Chris gives a frank account of that famous innings and talks about his successful two-decade cricket coaching career. Don't forget there is still time to send in a question for Richard Pittman for our Ask Richard about the Grand National podcast. I'd really like a question from one of our overseas listeners, so do get in touch before the 26th of March. Enjoy today's podcast. Hello Chris, welcome to the Paddock and the Pavilion. Pleasure, thank you. Well thanks for coming on the show. What have you been doing in the latest lockdown?
1: um the latest lockdown I uh, been so many to you? go online and <laughs> yeah, see when did the latest one start I think I uh, from September to, uh, to uh, I think that was before the last lockdown I, I applied online to be a delivery driver and uh, for Sainsbury's and um did a little bit of coaching as well on top of that with uh uh, I was lucky enough to be offered Cambridgeshire in the 15s and uh, help out of the uh, the EPP, which is the the most talented um, youngsters, in both girls and boys, in uh, in Cambridgeshire. Um, so I was I was combining the two, and then uh, this latest lockdown hit. So all I've been doing since it started is, um, or I say all, oh, I've never worked so hard in my life, <laughs> but um, yeah, I've been delivering food in the Cambridgeshire area.
0: Oh, so you've been for delivering, Sainsbury's, yeah. delivering for Sainsbury's. so <laughs> Mm. You haven't got an orange shirt on or anything, so uh, perhaps you've got an orange shirt Not at the
1: moment. (laughs) (laughs) They've got plenty of slash there from from them. They've been quite generous.
0: Well, that's a bit different from keeping wicket. But today we're going to talk about your cricket career with Nottinghamshire and Durham and your even longer coaching career in Cambridgeshire. We will get on to uh, one of the things that you're famous for, and it's not just the one thing. (laughs) Uh, talking about Brian Charles Lara, but we'll get to him in good time. You're born in Lincolnshire in January 1964. How did you first get into cricket?
1: Uh, family, as, as most people do. Um, I was lucky enough just in the. I was born in Lincolnshire, but it was a club just in the Nottinghamshire border called Collingham where my dad played, my uncles played and uh, my dad actually um, stopped playing quite early, he was a farmer with three kids, so um, he had enough on his plate, but it tended to be part of the weekend uh, ritual that uh, come tea time on a Saturday, uh, on a Sunday we'd go down to Collingham and uh, and watch the, the end of the cricket, and of course, back to space, uh, when the... Um, when the games sort of finished, there was uh, impromptu games of cricket with, 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 kids on the, on the outfield, big space while, uh, you know, well, as ever in those days, parents were in the bar. So, um, you know, it was always in, in our family. I mean, I've, my family's more of a rugby family, but um, yeah, I just sort of touched cricket quite early and Collingham was a, and still it's a really lovely family club. And uh, that's where it began. So, yeah, um, began in the under-13s and, um, yeah, I showed a bit something and, uh, yeah, it started from there.
0: And were you always a wicketkeeper?
1: No, uh, (laughs) no, I wasn't. I was a very... uh, Wicketkeeping was uh, literally as simple as... uh, I never even thought about it until I was about 11 or 12 and calling him an under-13 side that uh, my dad was uh, manager of and I think there was one lad... Who was the designated wicket keeper, he was he batted as well, it was designating wicket keeper at the end of the game. He said to me, Um, Chris, why don't you have a guarantee? You must be better than him. So I was stuck there, and that that was uh that was that was me. Uh, you kept wicket from then on and uh, it was a quite a good way of getting into the Collingham men's second team and then in the first team, um because I played I played for Collingham first team at the age of fourteen or something, or fifteen, as a wicketkeeper. I wouldn't have got in on batting alone, so it did help me. But I'd say until Notts took me on at the age of, of seventeen, I never, you know, I never considered myself um, wicketkeeping to be my first suit. But uh, as I say, I would never have been good enough to have made it as a batsman alone. So uh, everything went uh, okay.
0: You mentioned there that you were uh, uh, got taken on by Notts, and I looked up your second eleven debut in. May 1981 uh, against Surrey, a game at Knots won by nine wickets. Interestingly, in the uh, Surrey side, they had three Test players. Only one at that current time, Intikhab Alam, but also <laughs> Alex, Alex Stewart and Carl Rackerman, The Australian also played in that game. What do you remember about your second eleven debut? Uh, I remember. I remember. I didn't
1: have a clue what was going on, and I remember it was actually... Out- Bridge, so it was, was, you know, fantastic sort of honor. In fact, I think it was Alex Stewart's first game for three seconds. I've bumped into him two or three times over the last uh, 20 odd years or so, and we always talk about that game because I think he batted nine. I think he was. You know, he came in at the end and was like five or six knots out in both, both innings. So, uh, so it was, uh, his career went, in, uh, went upwards from there. But it was just, um, as you say, there was test players, there was at Trent Bridge. And I think in, I think in those days, was 17 years old, I think in those days, it was just a, a blissful ignorance or naivety, if you like, of, uh, of how good these people are and what sort of level you have to get to, but uh, you know, from from playing, I remember saying to uh, <laughs> to the slips at the time. I'd, all I'd done is play for Collingham and play for age group side. So I think the longest game i have ever played in was something like forty five overs a side. And in that game, we got a big score first innings and then made Surrey follow on. So. I was keeping wicket for two whole days and, uh, and uh, that, was, that was a bit of a struggle. But um, yeah, it was, uh, gosh, you say, it was so long ago now. And, um, and if you look at it, it was an incredible sort of Surrey second-11. Yeah, it was.
0: Yes, well, you got two catches in the game. And in two months later, you were playing in your first-class debut for Notts at Chelmsford against a very strong Essex side was Bruce French who was then the regular Knotts wicketkeeper was he injured on that day
1: well i was taken on at the age of 17 really because i mean bruce was only sort of 21 i think then and i think Knotts felt the manager ken taylor who was a fantastic bloke i think he felt that um, uh, there's no point taking another keeper on the same age as bruce because bruce was going to be there for you know it was a, a fantastic wicket-keeper, so Bruce was going to be there for long term. So they may as well have take somebody on and, and uh, young and get them to to learn their ropes. And uh, but the thing is, I don't think what anybody asked for was he was to break his finger a couple of months into the season and or um, well, a month into the season. It was very early. Now I assumed that they would give um, uh, give the gloves for that those two two games that, that Bruce was injured. I was assuming they were going to give them to. Couple of the older stages who would kept wicket in the past. There was was Mike Harris and Bashir Hassan who would kept wicket. I think I assume that if anything was to happen to Bruce, they would give the gloves to them. But Ken Taylor was a manager that thought, well, you know, I'm not going to learn anything by giving the gloves to to those guys. So um, let's let's see see what um, let's give it to Chris at seventeen. And and I was again, I was although I was seventeen. I Was a very young 17. I was not very mentally or physically developed at that age. Uh, I was, I was a, still a boy, and uh, we were at Chelmsford, and not a very good wicket at the time. And um, and suddenly I was keeping wicket to Richard Hadley and Clive Rice. Uh, and on a wicket that actually spun square, there was uh, you know, Eddie Hemmings and Mike two fantastic spinners, so it was a real baptism to be honest uh, the second game I went on I didn't bat in that game the second game I went on to Hampshire and, and played against played against their first team and Malcolm Marshall was playing for them where he did run through us both innings and although in the two games I did struggle and um, I did show passages where I could keep wicket but there was also quite a few mistakes in there uh, I think what happened was I'd say we will go on to it records seem to follow me about but in, in the Hampshire game. We were bowled out for 143 by Malcolm Marshall and the other guy. And um, Clive Rice was 108 not out. And that is a record in terms of percentage for what an individual score in in a total score. But the thing is, I I got six and I showed a bit of bravery, hung around with him. And we put on 50. And I think out of the two games, although it was a big struggle, I think that's where the manager saw something in me and uh you know saw a little bit of uh bravery at the time and naive, stupid naivety I think but um that stood me in good stead so um you know those two games were live in the memory because it was uh quite a struggle but you know I just did show enough and then Bruce came back and um and we actually won the championship that year so it was a, it was a very memorable year.
0: Yeah um certainly eye openers to, to start your uh First-class career. How nervous was it keeping to Richard and Clive Rice as a seventeen-year-old?
1: Well, I was always a very nervous cricketer. I mean, I'm, I was a, I'm, I'm more nervous. I was more nervous playing for Western Cove at the age of fifty than, 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 than you know. Nerves never went away from me. But I think at seventeen, I think I was I was just naive. I don't think I was too naive to be nervous. And I think it. I think the actual reality of that level hit me then. And so, consequently, I, you know, I did have a problem with nerves. But I think in 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 those two games, I just it was it went it went it was a blur. And you know, having Richard Hadley running in, and 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 I was sort of a very small seventeen year old. I just didn't think I, I probably didn't know what was going on. I wish I wish I kept that naivety all the way through. Perhaps
0: it must have been a blur facing Malcolm Marshall in nineteen eighty one as well.
1: It was. I do have <laughs> I do have one recollection. I say I want. Talking about being naive, I went out to bat. We were on a hat-trick, actually, my first first delivery in, in, in first-class cricket. Uh, and I went out to bat, and I just had one of those sort of under-12 thigh pads that, that was about the size of a handkerchief. And I had no chest guard, no arm guard or anything. And um, I had a uh, a helmet with the side pieces. Do you remember those? I didn't even have a full full grill. And I think, you know, as I say, if, if I'd have known then what I know now, I'd, I'd have completely, uh, I completely armed myself up because I do remember a delivery he came around the wicket to me, and I do remember a delivery that I just saw in front of my nose and managed to just duck my head down, and it just skimmed the top of my helmet. And I, and I think to myself, millisecond later, and, and I could have looked perhaps better looking, but I could have looked facially a lot different. But um, yeah, it was, it was. Uh, Yeah, it was a fantastic experience looking back, really, to face the great man.
0: Well, after those two games, you then went to become a regular player in the second eleven, but really became a frequent member of the Nottinghamshire side uh, in 86, 87 and 88, when Bruce presumably was playing a lot more for England. And uh, in 1987, Nottinghamshire won the county championship again it must've been a thrill to be, be in the side to win the championship
1: yeah as you say i was um after you know in the early 80s i was very much still a young lad and uh, i was i was in the second team uh, bruce was getting a lot of attention to play for england and uh, quite rightly and he um he was picked in 86 and in those days if you played one test match it did take uh, it did take him out know, of the um of the of the games for a couple of games so at the whole of 86, he was in England's side, so I got a good run then. 87, he, he did. He got back. He was in the England side as well, but um, he also caught chickenpox, I seem to remember. And um, he didn't. Uh, he was quite poorly from that. And then in 88, he had a finger operation that he took him out the whole season. And in 89, he still struggled a little bit with injury and not, not quite as much. So I was, getting, I was getting a good run of games from about 86 to, to 89. But then um he he came back as i think jack russell was the England wicketkeeper and that for a c- couple of years after that i was back in the second team it's 26 27 but yeah 87 was a was a was a season where i played i think half the games and um we would just had the i mean just richard hadley was just you know the greatest cricketer around you know and he he um he uh, he got a hundred wickets and a uh, thousand runs, I think, that year. And um, it was a, an awesome side, if you think about. Uh, if you think about the batting order of Chris Board, Tim and Derek Randall, Paul Johnson, and then you had uh, Clyde Rice and Richard Hadley and the spinners Eddie hennings I'm going to miss a name out too here, yeah. but um, it was a phenomenal side and it was a phenomenal year. We we uh, we won the championship, we won the Nat West and the second in the Sunday League. So um, it was a Fantastic to be a bit part player in that.
0: Well, you say bit part player. You played 12 first-class matches in 1987, scored 250 runs and took 27 catches. And talking about Richard, was he the best bowler that you kept wicket to?
1: I was lucky enough to keep wicket actually, to Malcolm Marshall in, a, in an invitation game. And uh, very similar people and bowlers in terms of... Um, I mean, the When I kept to Malcolm Marsh, it was a, it was a, a just a, an invitation side game up in, in Scarborough. But he had an enormous amount. We played South Africa, and we had an enormous amount of pride, um, bold, you know, spectacular. But Richard Hadley was uh, somebody I kept wicket to quite a lot, and he was just ahead of his time in terms of professionalism and um, looking after himself and leaving nothing to chance. And then on top of that, he just was a fantastic bowler, uh, just quicker than you would think uh, hit the seam, every ball swung it aggressive and um, yeah he made, he was quite nervous to keep to because he didn't suffer a very very nice person um didn't suffer full so he he wanted professionalism and um from everybody he played with and uh, he he was a you know a phenomenal cricketer,
0: and as you say after I think, uh, 89, your opportunities fell a bit with Bruce coming back from playing for England um, with Jack Russell getting established in the England side. Was it then you were looking to move to another county to get more opportunities?
1: Um, there, during those 80s, there were a couple of conversations I had with counties that, uh, that, that I may have moved. But, um, I was quite, you know, I was quite happy playing at Trent Bridge. You know, I was, I was playing with mates that I'd grown up with. Perhaps I got a little bit um, complacent, but um, every county only has one wicketkeeper, and you could name any county from that era, and they were all, you know, they were all incredibly good. So to say I, I could have gone to another county is, is not actually true because they there you know, there is an account in those in the 80s that didn't have a you know a, a top draw keeper so it was't in 1990 and ninety one it was the, the realization that that was probably going to be it um but I was lucky enough to um you know lucky enough that Durham were making a bid to become first class and I'm sure there was well, I'm sure they had their minds on one or two keepers but I was lucky enough to um, uh, to get the call to, to, to go up and, and talk to them and uh, um, it was probably looking back it probably came a couple of years too late for but um, it, it was um, it was a uh, very exciting time and um, it was a great experience and I had the opportunity to be uh, the first First team regular keeper uh, for f- for them. Uh, there was a local lad who was a local legend who was I was competing with. And at the start, they um, they sort of I played the championship stuff. He played the one day which was working pretty well. Um, but I think um, I never really nailed it. I, I I have good days in the first team in both Notts and Durham, but um, I just never quite felt that I was. I was good enough at that level uh, consistently. I'd have, you know, I'd have three good days and then, a, and then, a, and then a, a bad day. And um, I think all goalkeepers would tell you that, you know, that's not quite good enough, really. And um, I found I found first-class cricket a struggle, but um, I did have some good days and a bad one, which I'm sure you're going to come along to. Well,
0: we haven't <laughs> got there yet. So uh, <laughs> you do yourself a bit of a disservice here. You've still got 300 first-class victims. <laughs> But what was it like when you went to Durham, playing with the like of Ian Botham, Dean Jones, Wayne Larkins, David Graveney, Simon Hughes? What was it like playing they,
1: with them? um it was, it was brilliant. I mean, um, the funny thing is, is that, um, when we started, we, we started with Dean Jones in the side and um, we were going great guns uh, for the first month or so. And then... Dino broke his finger and we lost our overseas player. And I think that's when when the sort of reality dawned that we were a new side and um, we stopped winning games and um, we we struggled in that first year a little bit. But um, a lot of people say that uh, those players you mentioned, legends, obviously, um, that were at the... The back end of their career, but I think uh, they actually played some of their best cricket when they were at Durham. Uh, you know, Wayne Larkins, Phil Bain, these people, Paul Parker played. You know, played really, really well for Durham. But um, I think we were just the, the rest of the squad were just trying to establish themselves. We had uh, minor counties players that were trying to step up. Uh, we had players like myself that um, had not. Nailed it! It's another county, so we, we're having another go. So uh, it just took a bit of time, but those those people you mentioned played really well for Durham. It's just uh, it just takes a while, doesn't it, to get um, to get established? And I'm you know I'm really proud of looking back at what Durham have achieved in what's still a relatively short space of time.
0: Yeah, well, they've certainly done that, winning the championship on numerous occasions and providing a lot of yeah. England players. Now yeah. Durham, you, you played in their first first-class game against Oxford University, and you also played played in their first county championship game against Leicestershire. Uh, what do you remember about that game? Ian both of them got a hundred.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't. I got Norton one, I think. Um, yeah, it was a big crowd. I think that was. Uh... There was just a lot of um, uh, there was attention to, to that game and uh, and to everything we did in those days and uh, I mean it died down quite quickly but um, uh, there was a a lot of coverage a lot of press attention on that on that one game We played Leicestershire. We're a f- fine side and um, you know typically in both and really that uh, when there was a big crowd in the big stage he gets 100 and that's what uh, that's what he did <laughs> um, so um, uh, yeah it's, it's again it's a long time ago but um, I didn't have a particularly good game I did, and uh, yeah I um, sort I don't I don't look that much fondly at that particular game, but uh, I got back. I got uh, left out, and then got back into the side, and then had a, a decent, uh, decent first season.
0: We we lost that first first county championship game against Leicestershire by seven wickets, and um, in the first two seasons, ninety two and ninety three, Durham came bottom of the table. Uh, you don't think it was the wrong policy signing all those older players? I don't suppose there was a lot of other options, really. Or should have they gone with younger players?
1: No, so what i say that If you look at the the way those older players performed, it wasn't that, because they played very well for Durham. I think it was the fact that, um, that it just took a while for... You can't just... You know, it's very difficult just to... Pluck a team from all over the country and and expect them to compete against established first class counties. I mean that would be, you know, that would be disrespectful to those counties. But I think you'll find with a lot of teams, you know, that are um, that are struggling, is that we'd be in a game for a day and a half or two or first innings. Uh, we'd be getting a lead. We'd be we'd be doing pretty well, and then. You know, out of the blue, we'd have a bad session and we'd lose very quickly. And I think that's that can be said about a lot of sports teams that are struggling. That first year, I, I've no doubt that uh, had Dean Jones not have broken his finger, we'd have been we'd have done a lot better. And concentrating on those two two years, if you look at the one day records, I think done Durham held their own pretty well in on on the sunday League and the and the um, Benson hedges and the, the Nat West as we played them. They had decent performances and uh, and were pretty much uh, middle ranking really but um, yeah, the championship was a struggle because uh, we would we would be you know in a game and then we would lose a game And it became a habit and we didn 't say that first year we didn't have a, an overseas player for, for quite some time. And um, yeah, just uh, just took a while. But um, there were signs, you know, there were signs as I was leaving that um, there were young lads coming through net, you know, coming through into the nets like uh, Paul Collingwood and and Steve Harmison and Jimmy Daly and people like that. So you could see what the planning was. That was just to buy a couple of years to allow the local talent to come through, and um, and there was there was a lot of it. And so um, you know, when I left, it just you could just feel that. Um, that they were getting something that was going to be going to be quite special.
0: Well, we'll move on then to 1994, which was, playing-wise, a good year for you. You got uh, 670 first-class runs, scored two centuries, 56 catches. Durham came 16th in the table. And on the 3rd of June, you dropped a catch off Simon Brown when Brian Lara was on 18. And as the whole world seems to know, he went on to get... A world record score of 500. How often do you get asked this question?
1: Um, the funny thing is, after it happened, I, I knew it was a an absolute catastrophe. But uh, county cricket was, um, in those days, was one of those things where I had a game the next day and um, and uh, the day after and the day after. So it didn't really dawn on me what has happened. No, the funny thing is about the sort of Courtesy of of opposing players in England, but nobody mentioned it for the rest of that season. They played against it; it would have been an easy, cheap shot as I came out to bat to just to mention it, but nobody did for the rest of the season. As you say, it was probably my my best season in in county cricket, and um, uh, it was just at the end of that season I think reality hit that what what had happened, and this was going to be quite a big story. I don't think anybody. Is going to get past five hundred again, and uh, and I think it probably didn't affect me for the rest of the season. But I think in the in the off season when I, I realised, well, this is probably the only thing I'm going to be remembered for, and uh, it was, you know, it was a it, it it is quite a big story, and it's never sort of diminished. It seems to um, it seems to be as big now as it was then. So. Um, uh, at the time, I just felt, you know, I felt terrible because I think Simon Brown was bowling fantastically at the time. It was early season; it was swinging round corners with a duke ball, and he was bowling bowling sides out for fun. And he was just getting mentioned by the England team and um, for, for England selection. And I think Brian Lara on the back of a, a world record score in the West Indies against England, he, he came to England and scored six centuries on the bounce. And I think. How you know, do caught that? Had I caught that one, which was, which I should have done, then um, I'm, I'm feeling he may have, you know, may have got an England place. And also Durham were playing well at the time; we'd won three out of the first four games. And um, it was just the attention that they didn't really need at that time. So uh, I felt, you know, it, it, it was. I, I don't look back at it and laugh and think it's it's all all a good joke because it was a bit of a howler at a bad time. But I just looking back, I'm just wondering how it's it, it ever occurred because the game was a weird one because we batted first and got 570 for five, I think, or six. And then when uh, when Warwickshire batted, they finished day two on 190 for two, I think, and that's when it happened and Brian Lara was on 120. And the third day was completely washed out. In those days, you had a one... It seems bizarre now, but in those days, you have a... A one-day game in the middle of a four-day game, where we lost a bowler, and so on the fourth day, the captains got together and decided that because the wicket was still flat and good, and the short man, there was no chance of setting up a declaration or positive results. so we'll just play the last day out for points. Which I thought, well, at the time, I remember thinking, well, my catch hasn't, my drop, my howler hasn't actually cost us a game, so I was feeling feeling a bit more relaxed. But then I thought to myself, I was. The greatest player, arguably, has ever been is starting to day on 120 not out, and he's just got all day to bat. This could, this could have some serious consequences. And uh, and I, I've subsequently learnt that um, Brian Lara, being the you know the height, the genius he is, I've subsequently learnt that he um, he asked the question about um, the world record score. So I think while the rest of us were thinking about the end of the game, and all the Durham players were thinking about you know, a few hours in the field and going home, he came out and sort of attacked this world record score. And uh, But I don't want to take anything, I don't want to diminish what he did because, you know, in my opinion, he's the greatest batsman that's ever been. And uh, it was just, he just hit every ball for four for a day. It was incredible. And we were trying desperately to get him. We had a bowler down, but we were trying desperately, obviously, to get him out because it was getting more and more embarrassing, his score, really, for us.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that with me. Uh, I say you said Durham scored actually scored five fifty six, and then Warwickshire yeah. scored eight hundred and ten for four, and Brian <laughs> Lara Brian Lara scored three hundred and ninety in a day. Uh, it must have been a very flat wicket. But going back, he was a,
1: he, he was a genius, and I say I, I know Trevor Penney a little bit, and. Uh, he he got forty four in a partnership of three hundred uh, and eleven, um, and not because he's a slow scorer. It's just he couldn't face any he couldn't face many deliveries. But uh, you know, as I say, Brian Lara is the greatest player I've, well, I've you know I've played I played against a lot of great players. I've been lucky enough, but he he was just a different sort of gravy, if you like.
0: And is it right that he was? Um... Uh, out off a no ball by Anderson Cummings before you drop your catch
1: well the first ball he faced actually because he's good because Anderson Cummings knew him quite well he he bounced him first ball which is a really well directed bouncer he's gone for a hook and he's hit right at the top of the bat and on the follow through uh, Anderson has tried to catch it and dive and just not quite got there that was his first ball and then on 11 he um got bowled Leg stump got taken out behind his legs. He, he did get out like that in test matches a couple of times, I seem to remember. But uh, he, Anderson Cummings knew that he could target his leg stump. So on 11, he he had his leg stump knocked out of the ground. But it was, as I say, looked up and the umpire had signaled low. It was quite a late call. Actually. <laughs> a noble. So And then he was playing and missing at Simon Brown all the time, up to 18. And he, and he kept saying to the umpire, oh, it's gone, my form's gone. Uh, because, he, don't, don't forget, he scored three seven five against England and then started with 600s. Six, six and I remember he, um, he nicked, uh, and then I dropped a straightforward chance. And then that, um, which was, I think it was the last ball of the over. Uh, oh, no, it was, wasn't. It was the middle of the over. And then the last ball of the over, he gets the singles at the other end, and i stood up to the wicket to a spinner. And um, so I'm quite close to him. And he's turned around to me and said, uh, oh, my form's going, I've gone, <laughs> I've gone. And anyway, it was... Tea time shortly after, and he goes and has a net. And uh, whoever was throwing to him must be an absolute, you know, brilliant throw down guy. Because after that, after tea, he came out and you've never seen a display like it for the rest of that day. And then for all of all of the Monday, the last day it was just phenomenal. It just, just to hit the ball for four in all areas of the ground, but uh, yeah, and along the floor most of the time. I didn't hit the ball in the air very much.
0: Well, thanks very much for sharing that. That with me, <laughs> uh, we won't come it's back. Good. <laughs> well, you, you carried on playing until 1996, where when you retired, was it the right time to retire at the time?
1: Yeah, it wasn't a real retirement. I I had lost my place. I was in the second team. I think uh, I had, you know, I started at 17, and uh, although I would had some, some some wonderful days, I. I never really felt about it. So it was was just the right time. I'd had enough, really, because I'd haven't had enough of... I don't want to put anybody off. I mean, cricket's a great career, but, you know, after 15 years, I think it was time I did something else because I wasn't... I wasn't feeling as if I couldn't nail the first team. So, you know, being in your 30s and being in the second team, you have to do something else, really. So, yeah, it was all very... You know, all very amicable. I got you know great friends with with Durham, and um, it was the, you know at the time it was the it was the right thing, the best thing for me. I got a job, you know, I got a job very quickly with the Northumberland Cricket Board, which I'm grateful for, and I loved actually, and um, yeah. So um, yeah, I was very content at the end of it that um, that it was over, and um, I'd done my best, and um, uh, and I, I could move on.
0: And were you doing your coaching badges when you were in the second 11?
1: I've always done my coaching badges. They've changed um, over the years of what they're called. Even when I was 17 and just on the staff, that winter, myself and Paul Johnson both did a... um, what was it called back then a coaching award the very basic one in the winter uh, Mike Bohr actually running a teammate teammates. so, so I thought, and then I got my senior and then I got my advance while I was playing I always felt that um, I always felt I should be doing something like that I was never very academic at school or anything so I realised that this was a good way of of, of looking at um, you know looking into the future, and then when the EC when the ECB formed in in nineteen ninety nine, or when it became level one, level two, level three, and I did all of those, and um, yeah, I always felt that um, you know if you want to be a coach, you got to get the the, the qualifications, and so to um, I say, I wasn't top of the class by any means on any of them, but um, it was all, I learned an awful lot, and um, and I've always while I've played, uh, I always try to keep Up with it all, and uh, I finished in '96, and uh, I done my level did my level three in '99. So yeah, I was, and then my level four in 2005. So I was always keen to keep up to date with it all.
0: And how did you get involved with the Cambridge MCCU? I think that's in 2000.
1: It was called the Cambridge uh, MCCU. Called the Cambridge UCCU to start with. Uh, It was. It was. Financed, part financed by the EC in those days, and what it was was I was a I was a cricket development officer in Northumberland from '96, and, and they actually financed me to go on the level three, and I was I was enjoying myself up there. It was it was, it was lovely, lovely people. Um, but I did my level three, and then these the, the jobs came up internally about these six university centres that were starting up. I think it started at Durham the Grand Fowler about how the key years in a player's development from 18 to 21 can be a little bit lost if if a player wants to go into further education and particularly at Durham where there was a lot of very talented players from uh, Surrey and, and Middlesex and, and particularly the South that tend to go to Durham University. They, you know, they were spending three years up at Durham and they wanted to make sure that they had a a proper coach and a proper program up there to make sure that their, their, while they were studying that their, their levels didn't drop and their progression remained the same and so the ECB bought into that and created five more and um, certainly I had a job that was asking for a level three coach which I was and uh, preferred played at a higher highest level which I did and there's not many jobs I'm qualified for so I sent the CB out and I was lucky enough to get a couple of interviews and I was offered the Cambridge one, and um, yeah, it's been a lovely place to to live really for the last 20 odd years.
0: So it was the ideal job for you, really.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt that, um, it, 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 no doubt, how lucky I've been to, to have it and to um, have it for, for so long. Uh, 2000, October in 2000, I think it started.
0: And I know Yorkshire's Josh Poiston, uh, a previous guest on the paddock and the pavilion. Has been through the program. Are there any other first-class players of note that have gone through uh, the program when you were working there?
1: Yeah, Josh was one that um, uh, was one that wasn't really. Sussex were slightly interested in, but uh, the um, the university program sort of kick-started him and got him noticed and and probably. He, he, it's debatable, but the fact he was uh, a member of the the, the MCCU um, made him into a professional cricketer. And there were a few like that. It was Gary Park that, that had a good career up at Durham and Derbyshire? Uh, Vikram Banerjee had a good career at, um, at uh, Gloucestershire and Matthew Salisbury who's still at Durham now. Uh, of our people, I think that may not have got into the first-class game had it not been for for the MCCUs. But there are those that were already professional cricketers that uh, you try to keep their development um, going on track. Zafran Sari being, being my most sort of high profile. He was somebody that um, was adamant that he was going to uh, finish his education and um, was going to Cambridge regardless. And just trying to make sure that he, um, uh, he's, he got everything he needed in terms of his cricket development while he was at university so uh, so it was a mixture of those that um, came to the centre to try and get themselves in the shop window and those that, um, that were already professional cricketers were already on the county radar just to make sure that they, they stayed, stayed on the right development path. Um, um, I don't want to mention too many names because I'm bound to forget one but uh, there's been a lot uh, at Cambridge and there's been an awful lot. Uh, in, in all of the six centres, if you if uh, you know if there's ever a list printed, there's there's, there's so many that um, that have gone to a a, a centre and um, come out with a degree and not uh, and it's not hampered um, not hampered their development at all. And uh, you know I live I'm quite a good family friends with Tom Wesley, and uh, uh, he's a classic example that at 21 he got a degree under his belt and he's, 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 it had not impinged on his career at all. In fact, it improved it and. You know, he ended up playing for England and captain Essex. So, uh, I think the scheme was very much um, uh, had its place, and uh, I don't think there is any player that that's been on it that regrets being on it.
0: Because a lot of people, older people, think about the Cambridge University side, but this was a, a, a different development to that. Because, but uh, you were still playing first class matches, weren't you?
1: Yeah, it was. It was. Um, it was set up where uh, there were. A, six different uh, clusters of universities so in, in the six centres there were 14 universities in total that ranged from whatever course um, or whatever A-level grades a person a boy or a girl got uh, there, was a, there was a university out there for them that was on the cricket programme, was on this the MCCU programme or UCC as it started programme so uh, we were uh, twinned with Anglia, Cambridge University, and Anglia Ruskin University was our our centre. And uh, Anglia Ruskin was a, is a university; it's very well known regionally uh, in those days, not quite so well known nationally in those days. Uh, it's improved since then, but um, uh, and so it was you know it was a great magnet for for young cricketers to to hop on a course there and um, and get involved in, in, in the program and. Uh, I think the proudest thing I have is that um, looking back is that I, you know, have the, the, been there twenty years, and there's lads that uh, are now heading towards middle age. But uh, when I actually bump into them in, in life, whether they've made it at the top of cricket or not, they've all uh, they're all doing well, whatever field they're in, and, and they all I'm pretty sure they'll all say that uh, being part of the, the MCCU program. Uh, was a big part of that, that. They they developed as people as well as cricketers, and it's lovely to go to you know if I ever go to a wedding reception of theirs or or meet socially. It's lovely to see them all doing really well. And Cambridge University lads as well, but they they tend to do do well anyway. But um, uh, it's nice to to um, to meet up with them and see see how well they're doing in in life in general, even if they're not all professional cricketers.
0: Well, that's good to hear. Is the scheme the scheme is still going? You're not you're not there yourself now, are you?
1: Um, our scheme, uh, the Cambridge Centre, has has ceased to be. Um, uh, it would just came down to to finances in the end. Um, so the MCC were developing Lords and had other and cut back their money. I mean, the MCC have been fantastic uh, for, for for fifteen years or more. But they they had to make cutbacks, uh, so, so that was passed down onto to the centre where the the Cambridge and Anglia Ruskin University had to contribute a lot more uh, than they had pre- previously to the to the scheme, and the numbers just were not uh, were not stacking up. So um, our centre finished. I mean, Cambridge University will still have a, a, a nice fixture list, but um, the actual centre at Cambridge has finished. Uh, the MCC have, 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 have finished all together now uh, the other five centers are in a little bit of limbo what with this with covid and furlough they're, they're continuing as normal this year um, obviously fixtures are have been affected by covid I think if anybody's listening the youngsters just just, just keep your eye on it watch the space um, it's well worth going to um, if if the ecB take it up and and continue to to contribute to it
0: Right. Well, let's hope they do. Although, obviously, finance is a a tight for, for cricket at the moment.
1: It is. I think the ECB have got so much to uh, to look at in terms of where they make some savings, and I uh, think everybody makes a case for themselves, don't they? So, um, yeah. But it's, been, it's been a positive. The the um, the centres have been a very positive thing for for the game. I'm I'm sure of that. And you said earlier, what role have you got now? The Cambridgeshire County Creek Board have always been been good to me. They've always given me um, part little roles here and there, uh, uh, dovetailing with my job. Um, and so, I was made redundant in in um, in August, and they gave me a Cambridge from the fifteens which is a it's a great um, great thrill for me, really, and a, and a, and a great age to be taking a group of players. Um, I'm also involved with their Emerging Players programme at um, Girls and Boys within the county. Um, but These are not full-time roles, so I'm, um, I'm, I'm sending my CV out here and there and um, I'm driving a delivery van for um, for Sainsbury's in the area, uh, which is, um, ooh, that's hard work, <laughs> but it's quite, quite fun. And, um, yeah, so uh, like most people, I think uh, these are, very strange and difficult times for everybody, and I'm you know, like everybody else, I'm trying to get by, hope, hoping that we're going to be opened up soon and um, I can start getting to coaching again. And um, I'm trying to, to be honest, I'm trying to um, get out to as many clubs as I can and, and coach their wicket keepers. I think sometimes clubs can uh, take their wicket keepers a little bit for granted, and uh, perhaps not enough attention is made to their coaching. So, I'm, I'm um, I'm going to send to any clubs or any individuals that say I'm happy to to travel to their uh, grounds or, or and um, and just coach your keepers or coach an individual wicket keeper, and uh, yeah, and um, hope, you know see see what response that gets.
0: Well, it is a very specialist position, so I'm sure a, a quite a few clubs will want to take up your offer there of some specialist coaching for the for wicket keeping.
1: Yeah, and- there can sometimes be. Dragged into uh, dragged into the rubbish jobs like um, catching and taking field in practice and uh, keeping in nets, which is which is not a very pleasant things to do, or or just keeping to the bowlers as a, on a practice square, which is not very pleasant either. So uh, I just think there could be more more attention and I'm giving them a little bit of coaching as well. Uh, I'm trying to stick up for wicket keepers a bit and. Uh, Perhaps one thing I want to launch is, uh, have you ever seen a wicketkeeper be clapped off a pitch after taking four wickets or four catches or five catches? Because I've never seen it. And yet, bowlers do all the time, don't they? On batsmen, if they get 35, they get clapped off. But uh, I've never seen a wicketkeeper who catches five catches in a match be clapped off the pitch first. <laughs> so there you go.
0: No, I've never seen that. there would be something, uh, something different, <laughs> but uh, something very well deserved. If a keeper can take five catches, he ought to be putting his hand up with a... The ball in his mittens. (laughs) Finally, though, you said about returning to normal. If there is one thing you could do after June the 21st that you've not been able to do, what would it be?
1: (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, I'm just looking forward to just to being uh, a bit of an older man, getting my deck chair and going to watch a bit of club cricket around the region um, and sit there and uh, and watch players. Um, and what's really nice is that, um, as, as you say, I've been coached for the board and the MCCU and UCCU for 20 years, so there's a lot of times I go to a match locally uh, where, I mean, I watched a match last year where Sudbury played uh, Barry St Edmonds and there were six players in three players on each side that I've been coaching at came, at Fenners for various times. And uh, I watched a game at Saffron Alden, I think the year before, perhaps, where Cambridge were playing Hertfordshire. And there are eight players that have been at Cambridge, in the Cambridge scheme, at one time or another. And so perhaps I'm just looking forward to... Uh, you know, sitting sitting in the deck chair and watch them, watch them play, and without uh, moaning at them, or and just just sharing some of the times that we had together because it was fun. Um, and you'll never, you know, when you when you have lads that uh, there was when you have lads that probably come to me that have opened the batting for Hertfordshire in the seventeens the season before, and then on April the first uh, they're the facing, you know, they're they're op- because they're an opening batter, they're, they're opening the batter against. Essex and Lancashire and the faces of Jimmy Anderson and Jamie Porter and things like that. I mean, it's 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 terrifying, but at the same time, it's something that they um, they will have for the rest of our lives, and it's. I'm looking forward to catching up and uh, old 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 war stories, as they say.
0: Well, that's something to look forward to. Thank you very much for joining me on the paddock and the pavilion, and sharing your cricketing story. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to the paddock and the pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts. SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Pad and Pam. Sports Social Podcast Network.